Hello and welcome to CEO Stories, the podcast where we delve into the journeys of some of the region's leading and up-and-coming CEOs. I'm Henrietta Brulee, Chief Executive of the Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce and your host for today. I'm joined by Doug Wright, MD of Douglas Wright Restaurants Trading as McDonald's. Hello Doug. Good morning and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, you're pretty well known across the region and certainly among Chamber members as Mr McDonald's. But for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit more about you and your business. So I operate a restaurant company. When I began, McDonald's, which everyone knows today, was pretty much unheard of. So worked for McDonald's for 21 years and been a franchisee for coming up for 20 years. Fantastic. And if we were to go back in time and talk to, say, 10-year-old Doug, what would he think about what you're doing now? I think he'd be pretty pleased. Life was pretty hard to start with. I was adopted when I was a week old um, and moved around the country with my new parents as such. But we were poor, had very little. And um, a 10-year-old Doug, believe it or not, would never have eaten out in a restaurant. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing that journey on how you, you went from there, from 10-year-old Doug, never been to a restaurant, to uh, owning and managing so many. And looking at that journey, what was your first job and, and how did you start that career with McDonald's? Well, my first job was pretty much mandated by my father. He said to me I couldn't leave school unless I got a job. So I walked up and down the high street in Bedford back in July 1981 and the only people who could offer me work was, I guess it looked like at the Fonz's diner. You know, it was very strange, plastic seating, hamburgers, fries, milkshakes. And they were the only people who would give me a job. So joined this really unknown and strange restaurant company at the time. I think the thing that stood out was they had this like golden arch that beamed up and down the high street. So took the job with them which allowed me to discharge my duties to my dad and say I'd got a job. So I started McDonald's the day before I left school. I was meant to work there for a few weeks, but then the dreaded envelope with the O-levels arrived. And that was a pretty much a turning point in my life. So tell us more about that. You know, what, what happened next? You've got this first job in McDonald's. Uh, your O-levels perhaps haven't gone quite as planned. What happened next? Um, it was a, f a fractious few days, let's say, when the O-levels arrived. They were meant to be packed with 10 O-levels, and they arrived with one O-level, sort of one B, and nine almost passes, as I like to call them, nine Ds. And I think my mum and dad were very, very clear that I would take the summer to clear my head, and then sort of knuckle down and start getting ready to do retake of O-levels. But instantly, I just fell in love with working at McDonald's. Um, tell us about those early roles there. So what role did you start in and then how did your career develop with McDonald's from there? Well, off the record, um, I was the toilet cleaner, but I think to make it more glamorous, I told everyone I was an operative at McDonald's, which sounds far, far more glamorous. So started at McDonald's and I was pretty much, I would guess, unemployable. I you know, couldn't turn up on time. I didn't realise you needed to iron your uniform. Always blamed the bus driver that I was late. So, you know, if I started at 8 o'clock, the fact I was still in bed at quarter past, I always said it was the bus, the bus was late. So I think in the early days, McDonald's taught me life skills, 
things about you know organization having to get up be part of a team so gradually I sort of progressed I went from the cleaner to a part-time assistant to then to a full-time assistant and never returned back to school fantastic and I know your career continued to develop at McDonald's um until something that you've spoken about in the past um about a traumatic incident that happened to you when you were in your 20s would you be comfortable talking about that that car accident yeah. and how it impacted you in your career sure yeah so as you said I started to do okay um by 20 I was McDonald's youngest ever global restaurant manager in the world so I was their youngest restaurant manager and I think life started to look pretty good and then all of a sudden routine night out um ended up in a car crash and was in hospital for a year, broke my neck. Goodness, how how did that impact you? You know, you've, you've sort of found your purpose, if you like. You found something to give you drive and motivation, and then that to happen. How, how did that impact you? Yeah, it was pretty awful, you know, in terms of remembering, you know, being airlifted, then taken to Stoke Mandeville, the spinal centre, and then having an old Egyptian guy stand at the end of the bed saying, prepare to never, ever walk again. So... Partially paralysed for about five months, then started to recover. And then it was just little things like learning to walk again, occupational therapy. And throughout, you know, this global brand McDonald's were absolutely incredible. You know, got paid, they supported us. And then they kind of helped me back into work. You know, they brought me down from Oxford or up from Oxford and um, arrived in the glamorous Sutton Coalfield and pretty much had been based in and around the area ever since and that's already some pretty incredible resilience to sort of turn that around that sort of the prognosis of potentially never walking again to getting back to work and back to back to pretty much normal yeah I mean it took a few years to get back from you know accident to normal but I guess along the way you know you have a few light bulb moments that you know my mother was a lot lot older so there wasn't anywhere for her to stay so being as poor as she was she used to sleep on the floor next to me and those are those kind of moments you think god if I ever get better I want to try and make the lives of other people who are less fortunate better and hence the sort of big link up with charity in the future fantastic we'll come back to that later because I know your charity work has been a huge part of uh, your life over over recent years so Back to the journey. You, you're back in work. McDonald's have supported you through this incredibly traumatic time. What happened next? And, you know, at, at what point uh, were you offered a chance to run your own, own restaurant? I don't, I don't really remember how it all came around. But I remember, because I suppose the accident, life was tough. You know, it really, every day was a struggle, sort of learning to walk again. You know, I've lost a lot of movement in my left-hand side, my arm, my hand. And I kind of, I had no real thoughts about being a business owner for a few years. I think it was because you were trying to get better, get used to sort of life, having had an accident. But over the next few years, I recovered. Um, and again, McDonald's kind of kept finding me roles in, in their sort of regional HQ. And then I remember walking through head office in London one day and seeing this glamorous poster, say, be your own boss become a McDonald's franchisee and I kind of thought gosh I'd love to be my own business owner I'd love to have a restaurant and I thought where better place to do it than McDonald's unfortunately you know I had no money I think I was overdrawn at the time by about 600 pounds so I 
trying to put a compelling case together with no money is very, very difficult. But spoke with the corporation and a few months later, a letter came asking me to go for an interview to become a franchisee. So that would have been about 2002. Now, for those who might not be familiar with how franchisee systems work, do you want to tell us just a little bit about how that works within McDonald's? Yeah, so basically, you know, you leave the comfort of having your own job um, and a franchise owner, he or she, will either have worked for McDonald's or will be an entrepreneur, somebody who's got external uh, business acumen. They come in and they buy a 20-year franchise for a restaurant and they pay a capital sum and McDonald's provide all the training and a really an incredible business partner. But I guess it's taking a global brand and localizing it and making sure you're running a great restaurant, but genuinely caring about the community you operate within as well. And before that moment, before you saw that glamorous poster, was being your own boss and running your own business, either within the, the franchise system or, or separately, was that something that was on your mind? I think it was. I think it was very early on when I was 15, 16 that, you know, within Bedford there was a lot of people coming over and starting up businesses and there was a lot of really, really smart entrepreneurs that I met through playing cricket and football. And I think it was something that was definitely on my radar and I think it was sort of temporarily parked up when I had the accident. And how did you find that step? Like you say, going from not, not quite the comforts, but, you know, the structure of being an employee within McDonald's to then running your own restaurant. I think nobody could ever, ever, ever prepare you for it in terms of you have the comfort of a corporate job, a company car, a regular salary. And everyone thinks that going into business is really, really glamorous. But it's not to start, you know, in terms of with your first restaurant, your the manager, you are the cleaner, you are the person who does the payroll, the accounts, because your your kind of costs are really, really important. And what you're having to do is to start at the beginning and create the right culture, hire the right people. And it's really one huge, huge journey starting as a business owner. And you know, sitting in Chamber House today, that if I could have had one thing when I started, it would have been to be part of a chamber. Because in the early days in business, it feels so lonely. And looking back, you know, it would have been wonderful to be around a table and talking to people, similar like-minded people who are starting a journey in whatever industry. And that whole thing about connect, support and, you know, share and grow and everything else. It was a really scary time, you know, starting up a business. It was monstrously exciting. But it was almost like, you know, you're going on a learning journey. And it's a pretty hard one. And there were certainly lots of bumps on the road, but I loved it from the time I started, even though it was, wasn't was earning a lot of money. I was trying to put money in the business to grow the business, to grow equity. But yeah, the only thing I ever wish is I'd done it years and years before. And you must have loved it because you've obviously gone on to uh, to grow the number of restaurants in your empire since. Um, but do you want to just... Tell, tell me a little bit about how you found those next steps, that going from one restaurant to multiple restaurants, because something we talk about quite a lot on this show is that challenge of scale-up and going from, as you say, that, that sort of first steps into a venture where the business owner-manager is 
kind of in control of everything to that scale up and then needing to be able to take a step back and give others control within that framework how did you how did you find that yeah I mean it's a great question and it's you know one that you explore and sort of discover the answers as you go along as you say with one restaurant it might be hard work but you're in control of everything you know who's starting at what time who's finishing how much stock's in the fridge or the freezer you can tell you know you know absolutely everything in finite detail about that one restaurant or one unit when you talk about multi-site management in terms of we were i think it was about 5 years before we had a second restaurant and the dream was always to own two restaurants at the time McDonald's would have been about 20% franchised about 80% corporation owned and obviously that's changed but yeah to get to two restaurants was pretty amazing what immediately I learned from having a second restaurant was that the most important thing going forward was to create a great culture because from going from calling all the shots in one unit, in one restaurant, all of a sudden you had to put in very clear systems and processes. I think I learned a really tough lesson very early on that you have to give people a job and you have to empower and trust them. So you have to let people make mistakes and you have to stand back and sort of develop a culture where people feel valued and they feel special. And if you want those two things to work, you've got to give them the autonomy to get on with and do the job. So it was really, really tough sort of scaling up from one to two. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to run two restaurants? And then we had a couple of really good people running the restaurants. And we sat down with them one day and said, we need you to take ownership. You're getting paid a good salary. And I guess what they said to me was, well, let let us make the decisions. You know, when you come in, let us tell you, we'll tell you what we're doing and how business is and the barriers and opportunities. But going from one to two was certainly the most scary moment, but definitely the most exciting. And, you know, when I got to two, I kind of dreamt that we could one day get to three restaurants. And, you know, looking back and I'm not I'm not one to sort of look back too much and certainly not a history teacher, but. That was our light bulb moment in life, the fact we realised that it was all going to be about culture. And even to the point of, you know, there was a corporate rule book, and I think what we did was redefined it in terms of, in a very appropriate way, but we took a very different stance so that every person wasn't just a payroll number, but was a person, and behind every person they had different needs. So That was pretty special for us, and I suppose going forwards... From that point onwards, we always use the thing about if someone comes to see us, why wouldn't we? You know, so whatever their needs were, we've sort of tailored a business which is very much round about what they want to do. And from that, you know, you mentioned you grew from a one restaurant to two to three. You're now on, is it 20 restaurants? Yeah, we're now at 21 and um, certainly got a lot of plans to own and operate more restaurants. I think for us... The most important thing is that we're better than everyone else and that, you know, our sort of our sort of guiding mantra is that we're only as good as tomorrow. So, you know, whatever we've done in the past have no relevance, that we've got to build a restaurant company that is fit for purpose, it's modern and contemporary, and that we've, the culture that we've had for people has just got to continue. And that's the difficult piece as you get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
that you know is the CEO now. I'm still the owner and operator of 21 restaurants, but it's very much about the systems and the processes. You're reliant on other people. So again, that thing I said earlier, they need to feel valued and they need to feel special. And how have you approached that with those systems and processes? What are, what are you most proud of that you've been able to implement across the business? I think I'm most proud that we've been able to do business properly. And what I mean by that is we've never got up in the morning trying to make money. You know, I think if you do business properly as a byproduct of that, you certainly you certainly will make money. But I think I'm most proud of all the people who have come along the journey with me. And, you know, they are the people who do it day in, day out, and um, I guess there are USP that many people can look to replicate a McDonald's restaurant in terms of physical layout or kiosks or a drive through lane or windows. But I think where we are very, very special is that our people are extremely resilient. And, you know, whatever we've been through, whatever change, I think that we've adapted and adapted very well. I know you've spoken on a, a number of events for us before on people, including one on International Women's Day a couple of years ago, um, around your approach to maternity. And I think that ties into what you were saying about very much the why wouldn't we in that individual approach. But is that something you'd be interested in sharing on uh, how you've approached that with uh, sort of, you know, folks returning to work? Yeah, I mean, it was a really early lesson we learned. And, you know, for somebody who had worked in a sort of corporate organisation for 21 years with a very rigorous rule book, Early on, our best employee was a young lady and like she literally was the reason why we were doing so well and she was very clever. She helped us and did everything like admin, accounts, you know, whatever it was. One day she said to me, oh, I need to speak to you. And um, she said she was having a baby and she couldn't come back for five years. So I took a deep breath and I said, fantastic you know really really great news that you're having a child and I said when you're ready we'll be here for you and I think that was a special moment because it, it sort of demonstrated to me that by allowing her to go off and have a family that when she wanted to come back if indeed she did want to come back that we would find a role for her and today she's one of our people team and she's somebody who's had a, a huge influence on the business so I think she was employee number nine at the time of 36. And probably out of the 36 was probably the best, including myself. But by taking that sort of different approach with her, that she's repaid us in droves. And I think that, you know, I wouldn't name check her. She knows who she is. But I think we could probably give you another three or 400 examples of where, whether it's maternity, paternity, ill health, a need to go away and have like an unpaid period of time away to upskill yourself or go to do something different. I think that was the moment that we got the cab off the rank, that we had a very, very different approach to other people. And I remember many people saying to me, are you sure we've done the right thing? You know, we always had this thing about, you know, we expected people to work hard and be honest. And those were our sort of guiding principles. But we didn't have a huge fat rule book. But I guess that's helped us grow from, you know, one restaurant to where we are at 21 and still mustard keen to open more restaurants. Fantastic. That's that very personal approach to 
the team. And um, I know as well is a big focus on culture. You've also had a, a big focus on innovation and that sort of constantly evolving need of customers that you referred to earlier. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you keep pace with some of the changes and innovations coming your industry's way and some of the things that you've been working on? Yeah, I mean, we've evolved from a very low point. Back in 2002, McDonald's wasn't in a great place. You know, in terms of we had restaurant decors that were outdated. Indeed, our menu was very outdated. It had been the same, you know, for for 10, 15 years, burgers and fries. And I guess in 2002, we realized that we were going to have to not just modernize the physical look of the restaurants, but also we were going to have to have a menu that was far more customer-centric. And What I mean by that was that you know, there were choices within the menu and different drinks and we started selling fruits and like, you know, carrot bags and the, the menu evolved, salads. So I think we had something for everything, whereas before it was a burger and fries. So as we began that journey, I guess a recovery journey back in 2002, we modernised the menu, we modernised the decor and I think the CEO who came in started to talk about customer centricity. And I can't honestly remember thinking, gosh, I know exactly what that means. But that was a real sort of turning point for us, for someone to come and say that everything has to be customer validated and everything has to go through the lens of the customer. And it was a wonderful period of change for us because from that point onwards, we have made sure that a brand that wants to be successful the entry level is you have to invest. And, you know, we've continued to evolve. And even right now, as we sit here today in 2022, we're currently launching a new concept of restaurants, which creates a different area for couriers. There's a different way of ordering, different way of collecting, because from the pandemic, we've had to change. And in terms of we've had to change to make sure that whether it's drive-through, whether it's collecting an order, click and collect, whether it's McDelivery, that we're able to make sure that all of the service channels operate from within a restaurant. So really, 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 I guess challenging, but really good times for us. That, you know, we've certainly come out of the pandemic or recovering from the pandemic, realising that the world has changed and that everything we do, digital has to be at the heart of it in terms of our sort of growth areas, whether it's digital, whether it's drive-through or delivery, those three Ds are really defining what we do. And in terms of when I look back from the Fonz's Diner in 1981, as I remember, to now, it's such a different business. But the recurring theme is people are at the heart of it. They are our vital ingredients. But we've had to change so much. I mean, when I look back from then to now, you could never have imagined what we go through and 40 years of running restaurants and working in restaurants, so much has changed. And how do you find managing that sort of need to reflect local and have that sort of distinctive culture within your restaurants and balancing that with the, the franchise system? I think that's the exciting bit, you know, that you have to either accept change and embrace it or if you can't, you're in a really difficult place. So, you know, right now, 
the most important things are that you know customization and personalization are the most important things and for what that means in our world is that customers can order one how when they want how they want whenever as opposed to them having to come to the front counter back in 1981 so if you wanted a mcdonald's in 1981 you'd have to come and form an orderly queue whereas now you can do it at home or on the way to the restaurant or unbelievably before the pandemic someone asked me i was speaking at a conference do you ever think delivery will take off and i remember at the time it was probably five or six percent of our business and i said i don't think delivery will take off whereas now you know probably one in four of our customers orders through the delivery channel so that's how much the business and obviously the world has changed in that time Fantastic. Now, earlier on, you mentioned uh, that the experience you had when you had your accident and seeing your mum having to sort of sleep on the floor in the, the hospital room with you had inspired you to, to think about charity activity later in life. Now, you have made a huge contribution to the Ronald McDonald House Charity Birmingham. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that and why? what's motivated you to keep supporting through these years? Yeah, I think that, you know, when you lie in a bed and you can't move for a long period and see your mum, your old mum on the floor, you kind of think something's broken. So as I got better and became a franchisee, I'd heard about Ronald McDonald House Charities, which was started in America. And in essence, it was a facility, you'd probably best describe it as a home away from home where families could stay close to their hospital where their child was being treated. So we knew that there was an opportunity to do something in Birmingham. So back in 2002, I think I was just a fundraiser. So we were trying to raise funds. I was probably a fundraiser in brackets, not very good, but very, very keen. Um, We ended up, the corporation gave us a lot of the money and we raised quite a lot of money. We ended up spending just under £9 million building a 66-bedroom facility next to the Children's Hospital in Birmingham. And little did I know when I was wrapped in the tins and we were trying to raise the funds that I'd end up being the chairman. So I really loved it. And in terms of I've been the chairman for six years, I think during that period, if someone said, what are you most proud of? That would be it. You know, the the fact that every year we have around a thousand families who stay with us and, you know, they've got no option. They need somewhere to go. You know, their kids are very young and it's, it's a home away from home. It's a great place for siblings, you know, it gives every a little bit of time, their own room, their own bathroom and somewhere to, you know, to cook and just to recover. We've seen lots and lots of families how it has been that sort of vital link when their life is in a pretty low place. So, yep, being the chairman for six years, stood stood down last week and um, very proud of what we've achieved and certainly leave the charity far better embedded in the, the city and the region. And, you know, sitting here in Chamber House today, that the Chamber have pretty much been, you know, they've helped us embed the charity, they've helped to drive advocacy, and they've certainly made Ronald McDonald House Charities one of the, the better known and respected charities in the West Midlands. Um, the journey has been hard. When we started, we had our first dinner back in St. John's Hotel in Solihull. I think we worked for about six months to plan this event. And we raised, or I thought we were going to raise so much money. 
But when we counted all the money up, the first dinner we had, we raised £6,000. You know, sort of fast forward, became the chairman in 2015, and I think we raised 40000 that year. Then the big news for us, we got through the pandemic, we helped the charity sort of do virtual events, and then in November we did a hybrid event, and we ended up waking up the next morning and we raised 340000 So a third of a million pounds in a night is something pretty special. And I think the number and the pounds is one thing, but when you actually are close enough to see the difference that makes to families, that's just what sort of makes you tick. So that's certainly the thing I've enjoyed most. I certainly will miss the charity. I'm definitely a, you know, a lifer. I'll always support the charity. I'm actually looking forward to going to a few events and being able to sit and watch as opposed to having to do everything. And I'm sure, pretty much sure that I will go on to have impact in other charities and other sort of charitable events going forwards in the West Midlands. But for us, we owe the Chamber a great deal, the fact that they were able to help us on that journey of advocacy. And, you know, we'll be proud to, as we restructure and have somebody who takes the next position, I'm sure that the Chamber are going to have a big involvement in that too. Absolutely. And as someone who's uh, been to that, that event that you referred to, the, the Ronald McDonald House Charity Ball, um, hearing the stories of parents who have benefited from how it's really changed their lives during such difficult circumstances when their children are so unwell, and then being able to see the incredible fundraising effort happening live uh, in front of our eyes, I think you're being very modest <laughs> in the role you played in really driving that forward because it has just been incredible to watch. Um, and I know you're involved in a, a number of other community activities as well you know for instance as a deputy lord lieutenant yeah i mean that's a small role but you know i I guess as you've life's been very kind to me you know we sit here 40 years on and you know we've um done okay i think the thing you kind of want to do is i mentor a lot of businesses i look after i think 14 now from sort of startup companies to middle-sized companies i've sort of advised various couple of chief execs on sort of middle-sized companies and I think what you want to do is sort of remember you know coming to McDonald's is the the operative everything you've learned over 40 years and kind of try and help people and sort of drive community cohesion you know we're really really proud of the work that the restaurants do in local communities and I think it's taken a global brand like McDonald's and I call it glocalization, making sure that you respect the community that you live and work within. So, yeah, we've been involved in loads of things from whether it's helping, you know, and do some talks and special advisor at Miss Macaroon, work at the university. We try and help everybody, you know, in terms of our guiding principle is try and help those less fortunate. But a lot of the restaurant work and a lot of the charity work we do is very different but you know the one thing it is doing for sure is driving cohesion and bringing communities far closer together so yep as you say do some work at the lieutenancy which is very interesting and um i kind of it's helped me as a person because you're in so many different circumstances and you're learning on your feet but if i look back and you mentioned the 10 year old douglas wright I guess I'd be really surprised about how kind and considerate I am to people. Because in the early days, you know, 
for a man who couldn't clean his own bedroom or was constantly told off by mum and, you know, just couldn't turn up anywhere on time, I think I'd be proud of how I've changed, but I suppose how many people I've helped along the way. And speaking of that incredible journey, you know, you, you celebrated 40 years with McDonald's last year um, and you went viral. Your, the story of uh, your career went viral, uh, I think even ending up on Lad Bible <laughs> of all places. That must have been an interesting experience. Yeah, it was. Um, I agreed to do one small interview, which was organised by a journalist at the Birmingham Evening Mail. So it kind of like went along the lines of, we did this interview... And he was really fascinated about somebody who was the cleaner on 93 pence an hour, could own 20 restaurants. And he sort of really delved into it. But it was a guy called Nick Horner, Birmingham Mail. And I remember we did it. And he said, could I share this story? And I said, look, you can share it. But, you know, I don't really get myself. So I didn't really see it as that much of a thing. So I literally went to bed on the 31st of July, woke up on the or the 31st of um what it would have been 30th of june yeah 30th of june and i woke up on the 1st of july and like literally i thought there'd been you know an incident or something because i had so many so many messages but the really really odd one was i'd missed loads of calls from my son and daughter so get up and i tried to ring them but it was i'm a real early starter in the morning so eventually i started looking forward and there were people that i hadn't spoken to some for like 20 or 30 years. And they're saying, my gosh, you, your news is broken on social media. And I think it was at around about five or six million views on Instagram. And then the, the bit that the kids love, my son and my daughter, was that it was endorsed on Lad Bible. And I think it sort of trended at number one on Lad Bible for about a week. And it had 152,000 likes. So... It was just amazing to sort of hear from people that I've even heard from people I started work with in the first week in Bedford. And um, no, I think it's really nice because sometimes you think about people dwell on the negatives. But, you know, my small story, it certainly went everywhere and recognised at airports. I've been going to Costa and Mere Green for a very, very long time. And um, the lady announced it to everyone in the queue, which was pretty embarrassing. You know, people are kind, but yeah, I don't. Th- I I really didn't expect the sort of impact. It was in the sun, the mirror, and um, my ninety-three-year-old aunt rang me up. And um, Saturday morning, the phone rang. Came up, Auntie Jean. So I answered it, and she goes, "How do you know it was me?" And I said, "Because your number's in the phone." And I, I was kind of dreading what she had to say because I thought it'd be bad news. And she said, oh, you're on the front of the Daily Record. And she said, I think your mum would be really proud, but I think your dad would be really embarrassed. So that's sort of pretty good, a good, a good, good ground in there. But, yeah, it was surreal, the amount of people that became involved, read the story. And even now, you know, I was at Aston Villa last night and I was coming out of the bathroom and a bloke said, you're Douglas Wright. And I saw, you know, on Lad Bible, and I said, that's right, I am indeed. So, no all kindness and I think it kind of proves that within McDonald's and it gives hope to young people that as you go into business that if you have the right culture you care that you are able to you know create a story similar to mine. That's incredible Doug and I'm not surprised at all that your story and journey is inspiring so many people 
Speaking of inspiration, are there any leaders or individuals throughout that incredible journey that have inspired you along the way? Yeah, I mean, my dad was sort of a very smart guy. He never really said a lot, but, you know, he used to sort of, when he spoke, he was sort of very, very clear about, you know, it was about kindness, it was about people. And he used to have this saying that you must always, always orchestrate your own exit. And never was it truer than when I'd been at McDonald's and I wanted to become a franchisee. You alluded to it earlier, the fact that, you know, you're in a sort of comfortable environment. So it would have been very, very easy to have carried on. And I love McDonald's, you know, I really, really enjoyed working for McDonald's. But to be able to take that love of working for a brand you love and to be able to take it into your own business was fabulous. So, yeah, my dad would be one. Then the other one, this is going to be really odd coming from a sort of Aston Villa fan, but the sort of guy who's really sort of, and I've read so much on him, I certainly haven't stalked him, but I've researched him to the nth degree as Sir Alex Ferguson. You know, and kind of why why him? I think it's because, you know, he came from a background, Scottish, came down to England, and he too, you know, was very foundational. Began at the very beginning, you know, put all the foundations, whether it was, you know, football teams or it was the academy, and kind of loads of things I just love about him that sort of relate to me, the fact that, you know, he knew the dinner lady, he knew all his staff, the people in his offices. And believe it or not, you know, the Manchester United manager has had a massive impact on somebody who's a diehard Aston Villa fan. Just the whole thing about, as you grow, growing in a controlled way and having very clear direction. And it's certainly really shaped me. So probably not the answer that most people would expect, but Sir Alex has had a massive impact more so on my business life than, you know, my early days. But Sir Alex mixed with doctors, medics, people who sort of piece me back together. Those are the people that certainly sitting here today in, in a good place owe a lot to. And if you think back over your career, you've, you've already highlighted some excellent pieces of advice throughout this podcast. But if you could summarise that into just one piece of advice for an aspiring CEO, what would it be? It would definitely be that everything you do don't make short-term decisions. Sometimes it's harder, but think about the long term, whether it's investment in physical premises, people, and don't sort of make cuts. You know, invest in your people, invest in your premises, invest in a culture. So whatever you do, take a long-term decision, even if it's a little bit harder to do so rather than taking and. There's so many easy ways to take short-term decisions, but invest, invest in the future. Thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us and talking through your story with me today. Uh, For those listening, do remember to subscribe to CEO Stories wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media at GRB Ham Chambers on Twitter and Greater Birmingham Chambers of Commerce on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us and I look forward to bringing you our next guest, an inspiring CEO story in a month's time.